the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, Samson has great confidence in the Lord to give him strength against the Philistines. However, his life is full of compromise and he is not walking submitted to God's calling. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 16, verse 1. The title of the message is Lust, Love, and Relationship. Judges chapter 16. At this point in Samson's life, he is now Israel's leader. Verse 20 ended by saying, And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. So Samson is now Israel's leader. He is on the wings of that victory where he slew a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey the miracle of God melting his bonds, bringing the water from the ground to take care of Samson. That was enough for Israel to say, you be our leader, we will follow you. And Samson does that. But what's interesting is there's no mention of anything Samson does for the next 20 years. I'm not saying Samson never fought the Philistines. I'm not saying Samson never did anything. But it's clear that Samson never led them anywhere. The Philistines are still Israel's masters. But even though Samson's failing as a leader, he's not leading them anywhere, God got the conflict started with the Philistines that he wanted when Samson slew those thousand Philistine soldiers with the jawbone of a donkey. So things are tense now between the Philistines and Israel. And the Philistines really, really, really hate Samson. So when Samson falls in love with another Philistine woman, it opens a door for them to get their revenge. So chapter 16, we begin in verse 1. It says, Then went Samson to Gaza, and saw there a harlot, and went in unto her. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither. And so they compassed him in, and they laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city. And they were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight, and arose at midnight. And he took the doors of the gate of the city, and the two posts, and he went away with them, bar and all. And he put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the hill that is before Hebron. Now it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto her, Entice him and see wherein his great strength lies, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And we will give you every one of us 1,100 pieces of silver." So here we see Samson 20 years later. It says, then went Samson to Gaza. 
At this point in time, Samson is ruling over Israel from the city of Hebron. He's moved from the tribe of Dan, where he grew up, to this tribe of Judah, and he is ruling from the city of Hebron. Hebron was the most important city in the tribe of Judah. It was Caleb's hometown. It was a city of refuge. It was a bastion of strength for Israel. This is the place that David would rule Judah from for seven years before he unified the nation again. Now, these events occur toward the end of his 20 years of leadership. So Samson is by this time in his 40s, and yet he still has not embraced his calling. Now, the Philistines hate Samson, but they're not attacking Israel because Samson has slaughtered any Philistine he's come up against. So it's quite odd to just out of the blue see Samson travel 40 miles west to the Philistine royal city of Gaza when it says, then went Samson to Gaza. Now, it's not because Samson should never go to a pagan place like Gaza, like Gaza is this. That's not why. At some point, Samson should be leading an Israeli army to Gaza to drive the Philistines out. What's odd is not that Samson's going to Gaza. What's odd is that he goes alone and not to fight the Philistines. Now, the last time that Samson went to a royal Philistine city alone, he murdered 30 people based on their style of clothing. He's kind of a wanted man. So why go alone again? The Bible doesn't tell us. We can't know for sure. All we do know is what happens when he gets there. However, the next few verses do give us sense that Samson seems to believe he is under God's protection around the Philistines at all times. And therefore, Samson can go where Samson pleases. Now, the Bible has a term for that, and it is called testing the Lord. Testing the Lord. It is foolish, it is prideful, it is not faith-filled, and it is not fearless. You know, one of the things that I've heard Christians saying a lot lately is, God is bigger than this, what are we afraid of? I'll tell you what I'm afraid of. I fear God. I fear God. And I fear disobeying him, which is what the Bible says we should fear. Deuteronomy 6 verse 16 commands us, you shall not test the Lord your God as you tested him in Massa. Listen, I want to clue you in on something very important. No law-abiding Christian, someone who's trying to obey the magistrates as Paul instructed both Timothy and Titus to teach his congregation. Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, put them in mind, your congregation, to be subject to principalities and to powers and to obey magistrates and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no man, to not be contentious, but to be gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. That means even though you could blast somebody, even though you think they're doing a horrible job, you don't. Why? Verse 3, for we ourselves also, were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But you know what happened to us? But after we tried all that kind of life and it didn't work, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. And he saved us, not by works of righteousness, which we did. It's not because we were so good, so much better than everybody else but it was according to his mercy that he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. 
We are called to give that same mercy to others because we ourselves received it. So next time you want to blast a governing official or post a nasty article about how they're doing a horrible job, think twice about who you are and who you used to be. You've received mercy from God. How about we be the group of people that's actually showing it in this time? How about we not contribute to all the hate that's out there and all the contentiousness that's out there? Listen, I believe God is bigger than the bus churning down the highway at 50 miles an hour, but that doesn't mean I step out in front of it expecting God to keep me safe. This mindset that Samson has here is the same heretical mindset, this mindset that thinks we should be disobeying authorities in disobedience to God's word. It's the same heretical mindset that causes some churches to pass around venomous stakes to prove their faith. No different. It's just dressed up nice because we call the snake freedom or human rights. It has nothing to do with biblical faith. Biblical faith obeys the Lord. Christians have been doing that under oppressive governments since the time of Acts. Whenever we choose to ignore God and his commands in our own pride, we end up tarnishing the name of Christ and our witness for him. So is it any wonder that Samson's testing of God here lands him in trouble? Because look at what happens when he gets there. Then Samson went to Gaza and he saw there a harlot and went in unto her. Samson, it doesn't seem that he was looking for a harlot. The indication is that he just happened to see one. And then he decides to go in unto her. Listen, if it's not already been apparent to you, Samson has a serious lust problem. Three times we see Samson disobey God by engaging in forbidden relationships. And this time it's not just a Philistine woman that he likes hanging around or thinks, oh, I'd like to marry her. This woman is a prostitute. She doesn't care about him at all. And Samson went in unto her. He had sexual relations with her. Samson not only has a lust problem, but Samson has a serious self-control problem because whatever he sees, he acts upon. In our day and age, we have tremendous visual temptations to commit sexual sin. The problem that occurs when we become curious and we start giving in to those visual temptations, whether you're reading about the, the temptation or whether you're watching the thing happen or watching something that's tempting. Either way, it doesn't matter. The problem that occurs when we begin to become curious, we start giving in to those temptations, is that it doesn't just have an impact upon our lust problem. It creates a new problem for us. It creates a self-control problem. The dictionary defines self-control as the ability to control the expression of one's emotions or desires. We all have emotions. We all have desires. God implanted emotions and desires into us. Now they become corrupt by our flesh, of course. There's nothing wrong with feeling or sensing attraction. However, if you can't rein that in and go, that's a thought I shouldn't be having. I'm a married woman or I'm a married man. Or, you know, I should, that's a person that Christ died for. I shouldn't be thinking them as an object to fulfill my desire. Then that's when it begins to become corrupted. It begins to become something that is sinful. Anyone can have a tempting thought. Some of those thoughts will be my fault because you're maybe somewhere you shouldn't be or doing something you shouldn't be doing. But some of them will be completely out of your control. But what's interesting is giving in to those 
temptations doesn't mean you have a lust problem. What I do with those thoughts or emotions has nothing to do with lust. It has to do with self-control. Now, Proverbs chapter 6 says something very interesting about sexual sin. Proverbs 6 verse 26, it says this regarding a man who gives in to sexual temptation. It says, for by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. I don't know about you, but bread does not provide much resistance to me. And I'm not talking about a crusty old piece of bread. That's not the point here. Bread that you eat, bread that you would have at the table that you would enjoy. That type of bread does not put up a lot of resistance. Your teeth are going to win that battle. Your mouth is going to win that battle. It's going to end up in your stomach. You are going to have it for lunch. It's not going to win. And then the New Testament says something very similar, but about women. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, it says this. It says, those who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof, from such turn away, for of this sort are they which creep into houses, and it's talking about false teachers, and they lead captive silly women laden with sins who are led away with various lusts. So this is not just a problem for men. This is a problem for women too. That we can have self-control problems where we make poor decisions when confronted with lust temptation. Because self-control has gone out the window. And that's the problem when you repeatedly give in to visual types of temptations to sexual sin. It creates an addiction at the same time it erodes our defense system. And that is why sexual sin is uniquely devastating as a sin. For example, people say, you Christians, you're fascinated with adultery and fornication and homosexuality and all this kind of stuff. It's no different than any other sin. And I understand what they mean by that in the sense that all sin is bad. But sexual sin biblically is unique. It is unique in that it has a different impact. And here's what the Bible has to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verse 18 says this, flee sexual sin. Every sin that a man does or commits is outside the body. But he that commits fornication, sexual sin in general, sins against his own body. There's something unique about sexual sin where it actually does something to our physical makeup, to our body. This is why you may repent, but still find yourself making the poor decision of going down to Gaza at times. This is why you may know the harlot is bad, but you still go in when you see her. You see, the path for sin, the way it works, is normally one that requires going out over a lot of God's speed bumps, okay? For example, you know, normally the way sin works is the enemy tries to tempt you, and you think to yourself and you go, yeah, but so-and-so is going to, you know, so-and-so is around. You know, they might see me do that. And so that's one of God's speed bumps. He's allowed that person to be there to be a deterrent. And then maybe you, you decide to wait till they're gone, you know, and then you're going to steal from the boss or whatever, you know. And, and, but then all of a sudden you hear noises somewhere else in the office. That's another of God's speed bumps. That's how normal temptation works. God sets all these speed bumps to keep you from just charging down that path where you start thinking, going, this is a bad idea, I need to turn around. Danger. James chapter 1 describes this process of how we eventually get in trouble with sin is that we have to go through these speed bumps. James chapter 1, 
beginning in verse 12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tempted, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. In other words, you love him more, more than the temptation. You're going to love him enough to, to say no to the temptation. So let no man say when he is tempted, though, that I'm tempted by God. Like, this is God's fault. I'm, I'm doing this. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. But every man is tempted, here's where it starts, when he is drawn away of his own lust. What happens, the way sin always starts is it starts with seeing something that's forbidden. Seeing something that's forbidden and your body, your heart, your mind, whatever it might be, begins to crave something that is supposed to be hands off, all right? And then it says we are enticed. So if we entertain that forbidden thought long enough, eventually it draws us in with its seductive pull. It draws us in with its allure, you know, with its lies, all the various things, and we are, boom, we sucked in, all right? And so then when lust has conceived, when we finally act upon it, when we, are, we see it, we see something forbidden, we begin to entertain it, and then we are enticed, we're drawn in, and then we finally act upon it. We go over all these speed bumps in that process. We finally act upon it. When lust is conceived, it finally brings forth sin, behavior that is opposite of what God wants. And then sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. It's never going to produce a, something good. So he says, do not make this mistake. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't do that, all right? So that is the normal path for sin. It starts with seeing something forbidden, then we lust for it, then it moves to enticement, and then I finally take the plunge and disobey God. Now, God has designed us with a conscience, number one, and then secondly, he has given us his Holy Spirit so that when lust awakens inside of us, we have multiple speed bumps. Our conscience and the Holy Spirit saying, stop, slow down, and realize where you're headed. Turn around, danger. But when our self-control is shot from repeatedly giving in to sexual temptation, it's a sin that actually affects our body. Guess what? You don't notice the speed bumps anymore. You don't go from point A to point Z, from sight to sin anymore at all. In fact, you just go straight to Z the moment you see something forbidden. Doctors describe that, psychologists describe it as addiction. Someone who has an addiction problem, it's not necessarily that they have a drinking problem or they have a pornography problem. The problem is they have no self-control. Their self-control is shot because they've done something to the way their body responds. They have done observations of the mind when it comes to sexual temptation. And, and God designed our bodies to respond with certain chemical releases in the proper interaction of, of, of a sexual relationship within a marriage. However, when you begin to release all those things in ways they should not be, you begin to form new patterns that are not correct in your body. And it takes that self-control and it casts it to the ground. This is why when someone has developed a pornography problem or other sexually immoral problem, we tell them you have to close down all the roads that lead to Gaza. It's not just good enough to say, I repent. No, you need to shut down all roads that lead to Gaza. You have to retrain and rebuild your mind so that you can begin to exercise self-control again. 
because you've become a piece of bread. You've become a silly person laden about with lusts that control you instead of you controlling it. And too often, Christians, I find, like Samson, are unwilling to do that. And so they keep blundering into places like Gaza. They intend to do the right thing, but they keep running into harlots. And I will tell you tonight, you will never be free from that vicious cycle until you regain self-control. Never. You'll never be free. Now, while Samson figured he could get his one-night stand and leave quietly in the morning, he's not exactly the type of person that slips into and out of towns unnoticed. So just as the Scripture tells us that sexual sin creates trouble in other parts of our life, that's what happens to Samson here in Judges chapter 16, verse 2. It says in verse 2, And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson is come here. And so they compassed him in. They positioned soldiers all around him so that there was no way he could leave the city unnoticed. And they laid wait. They prepared an ambush for him all night in the gate of the city. Now, some large cities back then had multiple gates, but most cities back then had only one gate. So Samson would have had to have gone this way to get out. And it says that they were quiet. They made no moves all the night saying in the morning when it's day, he will be none the wiser and we will kill him. We'll spring our ambush. But despite their well-played plan, well-laid plans, Samson had no intention of leaving in the morning. And he doesn't care who sees him. Look at verse three. And Samson lay not till morning, but till midnight. And he got up at midnight and he took the doors of the gate of the city. Now you have to think, he gets up at midnight. How's he going to get out? The gates are shut at night. But Samson has an unorthodox plan both to get out and to ensure any Philistines that notice, leave him alone. It says he grabbed hold of the gates. He took the gates. He grabbed hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts. Now the posts are the frame that anchored the doors to the gatehouse. They were 16 feet high according to ancient records about the city of Gaza. 16 feet high. Grabs hold of these suckers and then he begins to, it says, yank them out. It says, and he went away with them. The phrase went away means to pull out like a tent peg. He begins to yank them out, just like he was pulling a tent peg out. And then it says that with the bar and all, you don't need to unlock a door or you can just move the door. Bar and all. And he put them upon his shoulders. So he's carrying them on his back and he carried them up to the top of a hill that is before Hebron. Now, the traditional site of this hill is about nine miles east of Gaza. So it's possible he didn't carry the gates all the way 40 miles to Hebron. Either way, nine miles, 40 miles, I'm not carrying one of the posts, let alone the entire gate. Not nine miles, I'm not doing it one mile. Now, surely all this noise of him yanking the gates out and walking away with their city gates got the Philistines' attention. But I think that was Samson's point. You want to stop me? Go ahead and try. And as you can imagine, the Philistine soldiers let him go. It's one thing to hear about a single man killing a thousand of your soldiers. It's another when you see evidence that he can, because he's walking away with your city gates. Now, this would leave the royal city of Gaza exposed to enemies, a huge blow to the Philistines. So we have to ask the question, was God involved with Samson going down to visit a harlot? 
There's no mention here of the Spirit of God coming upon Samson for this deed. But clearly, Samson doesn't possess strength whenever he just wants to use it. Because every other time it mentions the Spirit of God rushes upon him. So the question is, why did God come through for Samson at this point? Well, if God doesn't come through for Samson, that's a very short trip to the gates. God is not done with Samson yet. And God was still giving him time to repent. Now, instead of seeing it as a mercy, Samson viewed it as a license. And that is bad doctrine. And bad doctrine always produces bad behavior. In the book of Jude, it only has one chapter. He says, because there are certain men who have crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They are ungodly men because they turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness. What is lasciviousness? It means the absence of restraint. It means to blow past boundaries, a license to do whatever I please. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 13. He says, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness and not in chambering and wantonness, lasciviousness, not in strife and envying, but instead put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make provision for your flesh to fulfill its desires. That's what Samson failed to do. He didn't put on the Lord. He didn't reign in his selfish lusts. He didn't exercise self-control. And just over time, he became someone who didn't have any. So don't use God's grace as a license to sin. Take heed to Paul's words. Put on the Lord Jesus. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.